Hey guys, after hey. we started recording this episode, we realized we should We do were triggered. <laughs> yeah, I always figure if as much true crime and awful things as I read yeah. about, if it's an episode that really gets to me. We need to let you Yeah, know. it must be bad. Yeah. I mean, really, every episode we do could probably use a trigger warning. Yeah. But this one feels particularly rough. It does involve child abuse. Uh-huh. Just in case we want to give you all a heads up, if it's one that you want to skip, yes, we understand. Yeah. You can just come right back for the next episode, and we love you. We love you anyways. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. Do I do the witch story mm-hmm. or the murder story? It's a murder mystery. I do love a good murder mystery. Okay. I just want you all to know that this is Kara's fault that I'm doing this. <laughs> oh, my God. You like how I figured out a way to, to yep. put this on you. Hi, this is the Witch's Magic Murder Hi. Mystery Podcast. Hi. Here we are. We're doing it. I'm Megan. I'm Kara. I don't actually remember if we said that in the last episode. You know what? You all are hearing from us so much this <laughs> month, though, that I think it's okay. They're here again. Okay. This story. again. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> this story is a huge bummer. Oh, dang it. Yeah. I chose wrong, Megan. I've been working on it forever. That intuitive I know. nature I know. didn't kick in this time. I've been working on it forever, not because it's a super long episode, but because I could never spend a lot of I time. I they're going to hear my stomach growling in this <laughs> microphone. My stomach is closer than my mouth is, and it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> We're hungry. We're, We're always hungry. If you're on our Patreon and you got to see our video last month where we did like a typical, we both did kind of like a video diary almost of a typical day in the life on our podcast like recording day, which is every Wednesday. Human being ever. <laughs> no, you were perfect. I'm amazing at everything. Um, <laughs> I have great muscular, vaginal dexterity or whatever it is. People who hear this episode who maybe haven't heard the other one, <laughs> they're going to be like, wow, Kara. Wow, I'm so <laughs> full of myself. But it's true. <laughs> yeah. You don't even know. You don't even know. I don't know what we were saying. We want to know oh, what we're eating all we're, the time. We're always obsessed with food. We are. We love a good meal. Like I said, I've been working on this story forever because yes. I could only handle it in small doses. It's that much of a bummer. And you're about to dump it all on yep. me. Okay. All at once. So okay. I'd work on it here and there, you know, but then I'd go to another story. Yeah. And I figured at some point I'll finish this one. And here we are. Finish here it. we go. This is the story of the boy in the box. Oh, God. And you're all going to hate it. Oh, God. I just saw a last name that, you know. As always, I have no idea how to pronounce mm. and didn't look up. Here we go. It's fine. You know, it's fine. In February 1957, okay. a man named John, what do you think? Stachowiak. 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 Absolutely. Stachowiak. Not it. Yep, I love it. John S. John S. was out checking his muskrat traps when he spotted, <laughs> as you do, Okay. when he spotted the naked body of a young boy. Wrapped in a plaid blanket in the woods in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. John didn't report his finding to anyone because he was afraid that police would confiscate his muskrat traps. So the muskrats are more important. Those are more important. Are you, John, are you selling them on the black market or what you doing with the muskrats? I know nothing else about Please him. Please tell me that he is taxidermying them <laughs> and putting them in little scenes all over his house. That's what he was doing, Kara. Um, I didn't put that part in here, but I definitely read that somewhere. That he's creating little dioramas of, of. Yeah. Taxidermy, stuffed. One is the mayor. One is. 
He names them. They're all his best friends. The important thing here is that I want to be kind and assume that he could have had some reason to be particularly afraid. Right. Of the police or something. But, dude, you found a dead child. Yes, that's not okay. What are you doing? Right. I mean, report it anonymously if you have to. Like, I get that. Maybe you don't want to be tied to it. Yeah. So, a few days later, a man named Frank. Jesus Christ. Nobody can just have, like, a, you know, white or Guthrum Smith. Guthrum. Guthrum. Frank (laughs) Guthrum. Probably. He saw a... He saw a rabbit run into the underbrush in that area while he was driving down the road. Of course, it couldn't have been one of those creatures because they're all snatched up by this guy. The muskrat traps. We got to take our laughs anywhere we can get them in this episode. Okay, so we're going to make jokes about names and muskrats. Here we are. He knew there were animal traps around. So he saw this rabbit go in the underbrush and he's like, oh, no, there's animal traps. So he pulls over to make sure the rabbit's okay. So we love him. Yeah. (laughs) For loving creatures. And at that point, he also spotted the body that John had found. <laughs> a few joyous. I'm not even ever yep. going to try that again. He spotted the body that John had seen a few days earlier. Frank was also hesitant to tell the police. Why? I don't know. Like, what was up there? Is, this, is there something about this police department in particular? Is it something about the 50s? I don't know. But Frank did ultimately report it to the police the next day. I mean, maybe it's a matter of, like, I don't want to get involved in this. Oh, I don't want them thinking I did it. But it's a dead child. Yeah. How could you sleep knowing? Oh, so. Yeah. But the reason he reported it to the police is because he'd heard about the disappearance of a four-year-old girl named Mary Jane Barker, and he thought the body could have been her. Oh, okay. I did a quick read about Mary Jane Barker, by the way, but I couldn't handle that story on top of this one, so. No. I do feel like it's one that we'll talk about someday. Okay. Uh, I just can't. It'll be a long time before I yeah. handle another death Horrible of a child. Story yeah. Like this. So yeah. the body that the two men had found was inside a cardboard box that had once contained a bassinet. The oh. box. It, it was a bassinet box. Okay. There's no bassinet there. Right. But that particular clue was investigated really intensely. They know that the type of the bassinet that that box had was sold in JCPenney stores. Okay. And that only 11 or 12 had been sold. Oh. Either nine of the 11 or 11 of the 12, depending on the source, were traced back to the buyers. They were able to figure out like, here's who bought that. And here's uh-huh. where it is. And none of that led to anything. I was pretty impressed with that amount of police yeah. work at that point. Because I imagine in the 60s or the 50s. Right. Tracing all that down couldn't have be been so quick. Hard. The boy had fair skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair. The doctor who performed his autopsy said that it seemed the boy had some type of eye disease. His hair had recently been cropped, possibly after he died even. And clumps of hair still clung to his body, like where they had trimmed it and like didn't wipe it off or whatever. He was covered in bruises. And the bruising showed that he had endured extensive physical abuse for a very long period of time. Poor baby. He showed signs of severe malnourishment. And he had surgical scars on the ankle and groin and an L-shaped scar under his chin. His cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. Poor baby. And then I put, I hate this. Whenever I'm writing my episodes, I'm always just like stream of consciousness. What's Yeah. And so then I'm just write that and I'm like, and I hate this. This is yeah. terrible. The investigation began on February 26, 1957. Police were hopeful that they'd be able to identify the boy, identify the boy pretty quickly. I mean, it's a missing child. Someone had to be missing right. their child. Yeah. They took his fingerprints, but that led nowhere. Right. 
There was a huge media push. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers of the boys' likeness, and they sent them out and posted them all over the area. And a copy of the flyer was included with every single gas bill in Philadelphia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's great. That's a pretty good way to do it. So there, you can be sure that a whole lot of people saw, saw this picture. Yeah. The crime scene was searched over and over by 270 police academy recruits. Oh, wow. They found a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, a man's white handkerchief with a letter G in the corner, and all of that led nowhere. I mean, you don't know if any of that's right involved at all. Right. But- Police visited every children's home, foster home, and hospital in the area to make sure that all the children were accounted for. Like, is everyone who's supposed to be here here? They also distributed a post-mortem photograph of the boy fully dressed in a seated position as he may have looked in life. Oh. Yeah. I think that's the part that made me hate this story the most. Because if you start looking up this story at all, that's the first thing that pops up. Oh, my God. Um. So you can see those photographs if you want. Any mm-hmm. Google search will bring them up. But I'm just telling you, it's rough. Like, yeah. it's awful. No, thank you. Um, especially if you're a parent. Yeah. I think that the police meant for them to just help give an idea right. of what he looked right. like when he was alive. Yeah. Thinking that it would help someone recognize them. Yeah. But, but it's just traumatizing. He doesn't look alive in the pictures. Yeah. Like, it's obvious. Yeah. Um, and nobody ever came forward to identify him, which I think <laughs> is just the saddest. That's so sad. Yeah. So it's 2021, and we still don't know who he is. This is the Philadelphia Police Department's longest open cold case. Oh, my gosh. In March of 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the little boy, and they added him to their database. Okay. In August of 2018, Barbara Ray Venter, the genetic genealogist who helped identify the Golden State Killer using DNA said that she was going to use the same technique to try to identify the boy in the box. Oh. I just really love that people are still trying yes. for this little boy who apparently didn't have anyone right. who cared enough to come looking for him. Yeah. You know, 50, 60, 70. Yeah. I can't math. Um, years later, people are still trying. Right. You know? So there are also amateur investigators like with Web Sleuths or the of Doe course. Network who mm-hmm. have continuously worked to figure out who he is. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's, why I'm doing this story. Yes. There are plenty of murder stories or mysteries or whatever that I've read that I'm like, nope, nope, not, not going to do that. Cause I don't want to spend a lot of time. Well, that's like me thinking about it. Toolbox killer or whatever. He's oh, I cannot, never. I cannot. Never. Uh-uh. Yeah. No, <laughs> nope. I never, never, ever, ever. will do nope. the two pole toolbox killers. No. Nope. So there are theories. One, there was a foster home located about a mile and a half from where the body was found. A man named Remington Bristow, which is like, what a name. What a Remington Bristow. That's an aggressive name. Worked for the medical examiner's office in 1960. And he contacted a New Jersey psychic about the case. And the psychic was like, look for a house. Psychics back then were just like the go-to. Oh, yeah. Well, I think at this point, they were like, what else do we do? It's been a few years. We got to, you know, this, this poor baby. She was like, look for this house. And that house matched the description of the foster home. Oh. So that psychic eventually came to Philadelphia to where the body was found and led Remington Bristow directly to the foster home. Oh. Bristow continued to work on this case until he died in 1993. So like once it happened, he just never gave up on it. Oh. He even went to the estate sale of the foster home whenever that happened. And he found a bassinet there that (gasps) was similar to the one that had been sold in that box that the boy was found in. 
Oh. He also found blankets there that were similar to what the body had been wrapped in. Oh. But remember, it was a foster home. Right. So it's not necessarily unusual to find a bassinet yes. and blankets in the house. Yes. Bristow's theory is that the boy was the son of the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home. And that the boy's death was an accident. And they got rid of the body because the stepdaughter was an unwed mother. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I don't have all the details here, but it seems odd that they would want to hide the fact that she was an unwed mother when the boy was, as far as they can tell, like four to six years yeah. old. It seems like you that's the kind of thing you do when the child's a firstborn. Right. right. But after four to six years, we're still trying to hide that? Yeah. Uh, and if so, how awful. Like, how awful for this little boy. Oh, yeah. Who must have known that his mother or at least his grandfather was somewhat ashamed of him. Yeah. To the point that they didn't want anyone to know he existed. Poor baby. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all mm-hmm. over again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo. Uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so exciting and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so brandy. Right. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly, wavy hair. So it was a huge game changer for me. It dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny, which I noticed immediately. Mm-hmm. I didn't even need to straighten it afterwards. And usually I do because usually I have all those wild like curls left over. Yeah. The wind power on this thing is intense. It's wild. Like I turned it up. I was like, let's play with these buttons. Okay. So it has three magnetic styling attachments. They're all amazing. You know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's right. going to be so tangled. Not with this one. Nice. And it's magnetic. So it's great. So right now, you guys, our listeners can get 30% off their first order at timobeauty.com. T-Y-M-O beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to tymobeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wrapping him in blankets and laying him in a box implies a certain amount of care. Right. I guess, but still whoever did this just dumped him in the woods. Like they tried to Alone. put him in his own little casket or whatever. Yeah. And they didn't even bother to come identify him. Would you really be that concerned with being outed as an unwed mother? That now you're a murderer. That's your child. Yeah. So, uh. so then later I read that the stepdaughter and the stepfather had gotten married. Oh. So it just seems like there's a lot going on in that oh. house um, and possibly a lot of secrets, allegedly, mm-hmm. in allegedly. my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Why Mr. Bristow theorized that the death was an accident. Maybe he said that because he thought that if I say it's an accident, it makes people more oh, likely yeah. to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, it is an accident. It was that an seems accident. better. This actually is what happened. Yeah. Regardless, 
Police interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter, and they were never able to find any solid links between the foster family and the boy in the box. One of the articles I read on Medium said that a DNA test was actually done to rule out this theory. Hmm. And as always, you can find all our sources in the show notes. But yes. remember that thing we talked about DNA a few right. weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it can be different. It can be totally different. I mean, it's really unlikely probably, but at this point, I'm like, if you tell me it's ruled out with DNA, I'm not sure. I'm going to question it. It is now the new lie detector test. You know, I'm never going to get on any jury because if they, if it's ever oh, yeah. like, do you believe in DNA evidence? It's like, well, I'm just going to be like, excuse me, did you know? Did you <laughs> Some know people have two one sets? article that I read and it's, I listened to this podcast once. No, I walk in and all the officers like hug me and high five me and the judge will pull me up there and he'll be like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I'll tell him and he's like, you gotta go. You can't be here. Go. <laughs> I imagine that I would be disqualified as soon as I said I have a true crime podcast yeah oh yeah for sure they'd be like oh yeah. god not one of these but now that i've told all of you about that whole dna thing you can all get out of jury duty yes you're welcome you're welcome unless you, know, you really want to be in on it i've never then. had jury duty really i got called for it once like as soon as i turned 18 and i was a student so i was able to get out of it yeah but that's it not since then isn't that I've weird called for it multiple times i'm probably gonna get called for it like tomorrow now yeah. that that. that's okay because I'm going to start talking crazy about DNA and they'll be like, oh, we don't, we don't <laughs> want to do this. The defense will probably be like, heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put her on our case. Okay. We need her. And then they'll come up to you later and be like, you want to work for us? <laughs> you want to job? Just go around and talk to people about this DNA yeah. thing of yours. So anyway, they use DNA apparently and uh-huh. maybe other things to rule out the whole foster family okay. aspect. Okay. Then in February of 2002, a woman who went by Martha came to the police with a story. She stated that her mother had been abusive. And that her mother had purchased the little boy, she said his name was Jonathan, from his birth parents in 1954. She put him in the basement and didn't allow him to leave the house. He was then put through extreme physical and sexual abuse for the next two and a half years. Martha said the little boy was handicapped and unable to speak. Then one evening at dinner, he vomited up his meal, which led to a really harsh beating. His head was slammed against the floor. This is all Martha's story, okay? And he didn't go completely unconscious, but was obviously kind of out of it and dazed. They put him in the bath and he died. Oh, God. Did you ever read the book A Child Called It? Mm. I haven't read it because just the title alone. I don't think so. The title alone upsets me. I've had several people, because a lot of my jobs, obviously not what I currently do, but a lot of my jobs up until the last few years have been with children with disabilities. And so then people found out about that and they would be like, you should read a child called it. And I knew from the title alone, I was like, no, No, I can't handle that. But it's one man's account of his own childhood and the extensive abuse he endured. And I've been told, like I said, a few times that I should read it, but I just don't think I could ever recover. No. But anyway, this makes me think of that title. The thing is, Martha was known to have a history of mental illness, but maybe... That's the result of having such a horrible mother. Like right, both things can be true. Response to trauma. She could be mentally yeah. ill. And also this could be her story could be yeah. real. The details that Martha gave match up with the details that had not been released to the public, such as the contents of his stomach match the meal that Martha said he'd last eaten. Oh, wow. And his fingers had been water wrinkled. Oh. And police hadn't released that part. Like from the bath. Yeah. So that all seems, you know, really promising. Right. Martha went on to say that her mother had cut the boy's hair in order to help hide his identity. She then forced Martha to help her dump the boy in the Fox Chase area. Hmm. 
Martha said that when they were preparing to get the body out of the trunk of the car, a man had pulled up alongside them on the road to ask if they needed any assistance. Yeah. And their mother told them they didn't, so the man drove off. Oh, my gosh. This piece of the story matches up with confidential testimony given by a man in 1957 (gasps) who said that the box that the the boy was in was already there. Like, she didn't put the boy in a box put him in the car and bring him to the side right. of the road. The box had been discarded previously and they basically were just like, Oh, and a they box. put the, yeah. Oh my gosh. So in other words, that whole bassinet part that they investigated so heavily yeah. just didn't really didn't have it anything didn't to matter. do with it. That box had just been dumped there already. Okay. So when they brought the body there, there's a box. Okay. Furthermore, Martha's college roommate said that Martha had once said her mother was a murderer. Oh, my gosh. So it's like over time. It's not yeah. like she just suddenly came up with this. And when police asked her to describe the route that she and her mom had taken from their house to the spot where they dumped the body, it was correct. Cool. This all seems promising. Yes. But the neighbors who had access to Martha's house during the time period in question said, no, there was no young boy living there. And they dismissed Martha's story, calling it ridiculous. And I'm like, but what if they didn't go in the basement? Right. If she bought a child. Yeah. She's obviously not going around to tell all of her neighbors. And she, well, and also they she's she being abusive. So there's no way she's keeping like fun toys and things for him. Mm-hmm. Well, and think of the Sylvia Lykin story that, I don't know, it's way early in our episodes. Think of all the neighbors who well, did like, step forward. It's like the podcast, The Heart Tribe. Yeah. Those people, they said that when they went in the house, there was no evidence of children. There was all over social media. But when you went in that house, you didn't know that they had kids. I just think... Especially at that time, people just didn't get involved in each other's business. Yeah. And you'd never want to believe that you could be so blind to such a horrible thing going on right next door. Right. Yeah. So I just hate to dismiss this woman's story altogether because so much of it seems to match up. And it's corroborated by details that Martha couldn't have known. Right. She can't. Yeah. Yeah. So also Martha's psychologist believes the story. She says the details had never changed. Oh, wow. This whole part just makes me mad the more I think about it. If Martha's story is true, she had a horrible childhood uh-huh. and witnessed a horrible thing and then to had to help get rid of the body. Yeah. So, of course, she has some mental health issues. Well, yeah. So, it's like circular. Like, uh-huh. her mother did this. And when she tries to talk about what her mother did, uh-huh. it's like she gets – her mom's getting yeah. away with it because it's like she's, she's dismissed as crazy. Right. Like, not doing it herself. Yeah. Yeah. So Martha's a victim and her story is being completely disregarded. Yeah. In my opinion. (laughs) There were other theories. They wondered if maybe the boy was presented as a girl in life, like something about his haircut and the way his eyebrows were styled, which I was like, what? You style a child's eyebrows? But that's, I guess that's the whole thing. They're like something about the way his eyebrows were styled made them think that. So they also distributed photos of him with longer hair, which led nowhere. Yeah. Then in like 2016, there were a couple of writers who were looking into this story and they took Martha's story about her mom purchasing of a little boy uh-huh. and they combined it with another guy's story about how his family had rented a home to a man who sold his son. Oh. So they put those together. They traced all that back to a guy in Memphis, Tennessee, and they ended up using DNA mm-hmm. to see if the boy in the box's DNA matched that of a man who would have been the boy's brother, mm-hmm. but it didn't. So I guess that means there's another family who sold their child. Like there's another one. Was this a thing? Why are we doing this? (sighs) Yeah. I I even wrote here. This story is right up there with Sylvia Likens in terms of how much I freaking hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Hate it a lot. 
So when the initial investigation was completed, the boy was buried in a potter's field. Aww. In 1998, his body was exhumed in order to extract DNA. And at that time, he was reburied in Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedar Hill, Philadelphia. Okay. The cemetery had donated the plot Aww. and the casket, headstone, and service were all paid for by the son of the man who had originally buried the little boy years earlier. There was a large turnout for the funeral, and his headstone bears the words, America's Unknown Child. The people of Philadelphia continue to place flowers and stuffed animals on his grave. I know. I'm going to cry again. Like, that's the part that made me cry when I was researching this, because we have to assume that this little boy did not have the kind of sweet, joyful life that a kid should have. Yeah. And you just wonder if, like, he ever could have imagined that a whole city would love him as much as... I'm going to cry. Oh, God. That a whole city would ever come together to try and do the right thing, you know? Yeah. And show him, like, this. The love he like, never got. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Just go ahead and read this for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the love and care that he most likely never got in life. So, yeah. in 2019, um, the body was ordered to be exhumed again to retrieve oh. DNA. And this DNA was sent to a lab in Europe. Oh, And in April of this year, it was reported that the Philadelphia police now have a DNA (gasps) profile that could lead them to relatives of the unknown boy. Oh, my gosh. Homicide Captain Jason Smith told the local CBS affiliate, this is the closest we've gotten to being able to finally give the boy a name. Having that DNA profile also gives them a new lead because it gives them a new direction to follow to see where it goes. It's always on my mind, Smith said. We owe it to the child. (laughs) I know. And there again, I just think that this child pr- could probably never have imagined that yeah, there would be anyone yeah. out there fighting for him. When I think of how young he was and how little he, he had no understood. Idea. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. So that last bit about having the DNA profile and being able to follow that to a new lead is from a news story dated April 30th, 2021. Oh. And that's the last thing I could find. But I do think with that DNA profile, we have a whole lot of hope that they'll be able to yeah. figure this out, especially when we have the woman involved who did the DNA profiling for the, the Golden State, State Killer. Killer. Yeah. That technology is it's just insane. incredible. Yeah. So even if we don't ever find out who dumped his body or know exactly what happened, whoever's responsible for it might not even be alive anymore. Right. It could still be some kind of victory for his name to be spoken out yes. loud and for people to have some idea of who he actually was. Oh, sweet baby. So that's that story. My gosh. I told you, it's a real bummer. But oh. I think the idea that they're still working on it. They're still working on it. People day. are still fighting for this sweet little thing. And yeah. then that some, at some point we may find it out and maybe soon. Right. Because of this new technology with the DNA profiling. Right. So. Aww. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely have to keep up with this. We got through it. <laughs> we did it guys. Thank you all so much for listening. Yes. And we love you so much. We do. You can find all the links to our sources, as well as everything you need to contact us in the show notes on this episode. Huh? And on Instagram. Yep. Which is Magic Murder Mystery. Yep. Same as email. Yeah. Which is Magic Murder Mystery at gmail.com. Perfect. Goodbye. Goodbye.